Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to the second part of today's show, um, Verbal Outpost, where we've been discussing in the first half, we were talking about moon sighting and how culture plays a factor into it. Um, so we're going to talk a bit more about sort of culture and uh, superstitions now as well um, as we were growing up. So if you guys have any thoughts about it, remember, you can send us an email to verboutpost at outlook.com and send us a comment uh, let us know what you think um we'd love to hear what you what you have to say about the topic to be honest uh, it'll be interesting because we've got our thoughts we've got our experiences it'll be nice to know what our listeners and uh, what they've been going through um so going into the topic of sort of culture and islam um i want to go back to when we were sort of young and you know we were kids and we were sort of fasting for the first time and i saw mentioned in my intro how there are probably a lot of people who are fasting for the first time children reverts whatnot um, and they may have come across all sorts of you know different rules and you know if they've got friends and family um, who are muslim telling them that this is how you should behave during ramadan and these things break your fast i remember when i was a kid you know that it seems silly now but i remember oh, look if you swear <laughs> that's it you've broken your fast and I'm like, oh no, or if if I didn't go to Tarawi tonight and pray the full 20, that's it, I can't keep fast the next day. I'm like, man, what do I do? I don't want to go pray all of it, or I can't, I'm struggling, or what if I want to sit down and not do a few rakats, you know, take a rest in between, does that mean I can't fast the next day? How do I explain that to my parents when they're, you know, they're expecting me to fast the next day? <laughs> do I just make out fasting and then I eat, or what, or do I have to keep it, you know, hide it away? I don't know if you guys have come across things like that, but yourself. Uh, I, I, actually, <laughs> I'm just laughing because I almost said the exact same thing to my own kids. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I've been saying to them, look, if you fight, there's no point in you fasting. You're going to end up breaking your fast. Don't fight with each other. So It doesn't. There's, oh, there's no oh, ruling to say that if you get to a fight, that's it. Your fast is broken. No, I, I know, I know, I know. I know. So I, I, I wonder whether there's a little bit of that as well, is that, you know, your parents try and get you to stop doing something bad or stop misbehaving and then they'll throw that in there and then you kind of take that with you into your adulthood and then that's what you think <laughs> it's almost like the uh so. if, you don't, if you continue with that behavior the boogeyman will get you <laughs> yeah yeah oh gosh yeah it's quite it's quite funny how like and i suppose it's down to education isn't it um if you don't have that islamic education especially at a younger age you know you don't really know you just people tell you things and you think oh okay I've got to be careful about this and in the masjid you know I don't I don't remember when I was younger them going through all of this sort of stuff it's very much in the masjid read your Quran don't worry about what it means you know just read the Arabic and you and you, I don't know you just don't know the common things that you should know as, uh, I mean alhamdulillah I'd like to think us as parents we're making sure our kids know about the difference you know and what is allowed what isn't allowed but I mean, we're still learning ourselves. We may come across, you know, things and we'll learn about it and then try to teach our kids. But I just maybe, I don't know, when I was younger, I just feel like the imams and everyone, they should have been, they should have taught us a little bit better with this sort of thing. And there wouldn't be so much confusion about, you know, how we should be during Ramadan and how we should act and what breaks our fast and what doesn't. I mean, to be honest, I remember Tarawi being more important than the five daily prayers. 
that was a big that's a big cultural mm. thing i remember it was all about doing tarawi no one enforced doing your five daily prayers it's only yeah, as i got older that. yeah it's only as i got older i was like wow you know what tarawi you know as important as it is it's not for the one you, <laughs> you know what i mean if anything during this month if you're not doing your five daily prayers that's the one you should be focusing on yeah, yeah. just on the back of salah and praying uh, you know the other i guess cultural aspect is leaving people with the understanding that when you pray you must pray all the fard all the sunnah all the nafil without fail and then obviously by the time you get to isha you're looking at what 17 records <laughs> yeah. if you're tired you're gonna you're gonna almost feel guilty um or just miss it all together and just plunge out of that routine uh, rather than you know making it easy because this religion is it's made easy for isn't it it's us that make it hard for ourselves yeah and i remember with prayers as well um and this is as i got a bit older i remember people telling me that oh if you get too busy um it's all right you know if you've missed your prayer just pray for the salah that's all right you just you know you just make it up i was oh okay seems easy enough you know i've missed a prayer oh no i'm at work okay i can't pray i'm a bit too busy so i'll just pray because later on that's it made up for it <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because this is we'll probably go back about a decade at least or something yeah. but there was a job that i was working at and i said to him i need to pray and i think they had a bit of an issue with me taking a bit of time away and going to pray and the manager or whatever he was he pulled me to the side and he said some something to the effect of you know do you really need to pray like can you not just go home and make them all up that's what some other people do was I'm he like, muslim no he wasn't this is the thing oh, he wasn't okay. muslim and i got really offended because <laughs> you've got this guy who's not a muslim and, and he's trying to tell me how i should be praying and what i should be you know marking as obligatory and, and what i shouldn't be marking as obligatory and and I said to him, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> the Qadar thing is, is literally there for when you've genuinely missed it. You know, for example, like you're waiting for Salah and you fall asleep and, and you end up missing it, but then you make it up straight away. Mm. It's for scenarios like that. It's not, oh, I'm busy or I'm, I'm watching TV or I'm working. It's not for those kind of scenarios really, is it? It's not, but it's quite interesting because if I was making excuses for that guy, unfortunately, some of the other Muslims that he's seen clearly aren't very maybe very practicing or have the incorrect understanding and are a bit easy, more easygoing and that's why they make up their prayers so he's using that as an example mm. and he does probably not quite understanding why you're different yeah yeah that's probably yeah, it yeah. Uh, i think i think i was more offended with with the fact that he wasn't asking me uh if i can do it that way as more he was trying to suggest i should do it that way yeah. instead and that's where I think I had a bit of an issue. Because if he was just asking a question, then that's just that's a different scenario, isn't it? But if you've got somebody who's not Muslim, who doesn't know what he's talking about, and he's saying, oh, you don't need to pray. You can just you know go home after work and just make up whatever you need to make up. Mm-hmm. Like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> <Somewhere> that way. <laughs> and it's important keeping that habit, you know, especially for when someone's starting off and they're trying to do the five daily prayers. As, as soon as someone start saying oh it's all right you can just miss it and and if you're quite easily influenced or if you're under a lot of pressure you know peer pressure even maybe and you think oh it's all right i just miss it and you just don't want to get out of that habit you don't want to break that habit um you you want to continue doing it properly and staying strong inshallah i remember when i started off you know there were loads of times i thought oh you know can i just miss it you know i'm in a situation maybe i'm in the middle of town or something i can't you know i can't get to the masjid 
And I'm thinking, oh, you know, is it all right just to miss it? And I just make it up or what? Or do I just, that's it, go to the toilet somewhere, do my wudu and just pray out in the streets. And, you know, sometimes that's what you have to do. You know, that's sort of looked down upon. You know, I've noticed in in our community, uh, especially the elder generation, just praying out in the middle of nowhere in the streets, you know, in front of non-Muslims where, you know, there's a lot of public traffic wouldn't just do that I can't imagine my dad being comfortable doing that but I remember when I was starting off you know alhamdulillah I was around a lot of young brothers who you know very practicing and they made it they showed me that's acceptable it's fine if you have to pray you have to pray find a corner somewhere if people non-muslims are walking past they're going to be walking past you got to do your prayer do you know what I've actually found the people you know the peer pressure Mm -hmm. I found doesn't come from workplace or non-muslims and reheal that experience that you've talked about I, I mean i'm very thankful i've never experienced anything like that whenever i have spoken to any employer they've always been very accommodating about it so that slightly surprises me i found most of the peer pressure and the negativity comes from other muslims i do that that that's where most of it comes from and it usually comes from people that don't pray five times a day. Um, or, or, or do you know what? Do you know what? It's not even just restricted to that. It comes from people with bigger beards than you, right? Who think that they're somehow a bit more holier than you are, holier than thou sort of mentality. And they think, well, actually, you're not praying. Uh, you missed your son then. You know, you should be praying that. Or yeah. you should be praying a particular way. So it, it, it's, I find there's, much more judgment within the muslim community from other muslims yeah yeah, actually, from so, muslims. yeah saying that actually, just remind, yeah sorry do you want to say your thing first or should i say mine i was just going to say that you know um i remember another from, from another employment <laughs> um, <laughs> memory if you like <laughs> yeah. um, there's a common theme here isn't <laughs> <laughs> but this is one's a little bit different um that you know the employees have any issues in praying or anything like that, but somebody else a colleague a uh, non-muslim um, they asked me, oh, how comes that other guy, he's a Muslim as well, right? How comes he doesn't pray and do this and do that? And I, and I think as a Muslim, you're almost going to try and put yourself in a position where you have to give that answer. And I, I just responded, I said, well, why don't you ask that person directly? Go to that person and ask them yourself. <laughs> don't ask me what, why they're doing things and why they're not doing things. <laughs> but yeah, so, I think, you know, people, other people do... Yeah, have different habits and and on whatnot. It can be a bit confusing for the outside world, if, if you like. Mm. And well, sorry, Hamza's thing about uh, getting judgment from other Muslims. I sorry, I had a uh, sort of had a memory of when I was, I think, about thirteen years old, and I was just trying to pray here and there. It wasn't necessarily all the time, but I was, you know, learning. And and at one point, I did get into a quite a good habit of it. And I had two friends. One who was. Um, he was Egyptian actually and his family were quite, were quite strict trying to get him to make sure you know the son prays all the time um, and then I had another friend completely you know didn't really care wasn't praying at all but they both knew that I was trying and it came time towards um, I can't remember which prayer it was might have been Maghrib time and I was with them I was in the house we you know we messed about I don't know playing games or Mega Drive or something <laughs> so many years ago PlayStation or whatnot and it came for prayer time and the religious one that was supposed to pray i think he he just like look i'm not gonna pray and the other one that wasn't practicing he looked at me he goes oh you need to go pray and i was like oh no it's all right i'm just gonna miss it and then those two got into an argument over me they were like so the religious one was arguing with a non 
religious one and they are like look oh you know he should go pray now but why are you telling him what to do it's up to him he, he can make that decision i'm like oh well, what's going on here and i thought it's quite interesting how the religious one who you know from his parents come from a quite strict uh, practicing background you know he was like look, look, look you should you know let him make his own choice if he doesn't want to pray he doesn't want to pray however the other one suddenly saw the importance of it and i thought wow this is quite interesting different cultures because obviously he's from an egyptian sort of arab background um while the other was bangladeshi like me and you know i didn't even think he cared whether i was praying or not but clearly he did he saw some importance of it and i thought it was quite interesting to be honest and i still have this memory in my head about it i was like oh okay I've, yeah I've, i think I've... go on <laughs> I, I've, I've honestly I've, I've got so many stories very similar to that of just okay. where somebody said something yeah I remember one incident a few it, it wasn't even that long well I say it wasn't that long ago it was about mm. 10 years ago mm. so um, for me it doesn't feel that long ago but I was around somebody's house in Salatan came um, yeah Muslim house a friend's house and it, I think it was Maghrib time or something, or Asr time was about to end. So I said, look, I need to pray. So he, you know, he goes, he gets some salah and everything. He wasn't going to pray. He had no intention of praying. So I said, all right, okay, well, that's fine. You know, that's between you and your Lord. At least let me pray. So I prayed, made wudu, prayed salah and everything. At the end of it, he was sat there watching me pray. <laughs> started picking faults in things that I did. Saying, oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that thing, yeah, you know, the way you did your sajood, and yeah, 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 you did that all very wrong. Right? <laughs> Just thought, okay, yeah, pot, kettle, black. Sorry, I was just going to say, that's, I've been there a few times where I've been in someone else's house, they get the prayer mat and everything ready for me, and, you know, they're letting me pray, but I was thinking, why aren't you praying? You know, you've got prayer mats in the house, you know, why aren't you praying? It's awkward, man, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing my prayer, but then I'm thinking, why aren't you praying? I, I guess sometimes, you know, you mentioned about the uh, the, the religious brother and the non-religious brother. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's, it's almost ironic where sometimes parents will try and get their kids to do something so much that they'll they might forget to teach them the reason why they're doing it yeah so it's just more of a routine habit rather than anything spiritual or you know anything beyond mm. physical motions so when they're not under the watch as it were which is their parents then they they'll they most likely will choose not to do that because mm. it's of no interest that's an important point you know because that's a fear i sort of have with my kids i would think look they're praying maybe at home when we're around, but inshallah, when they're older and when we're not around, are they going to continue those prayers? And I'd like to hope we instill in them all the right teachings of the Prophet and the values and the importance of it all. And that, you know, they think, yeah, no, I'm going to pray. It doesn't matter if my mom and dad aren't here. You know, I need to pray. I need to find a way to, and I hope I give them the confidence to do that as well and make it as easy as possible. I think that's going to be the key point, isn't it? Uh, making sure they understand why. Hmm. The reason why we do certain things like praying salah, for example, hmm. um, and, and instilling that confidence in them, even when you're in you know, a society that doesn't practice that and you're almost the odd one out, hmm. they would still have the confidence to do that. 
And that's where the culture part comes into it because we've sort of spoken briefly of that in madrasa, you know, they just teach the Quran, they don't really get you to understand it. But same with the prayers in some households, you're praying because your parents are saying, look, you have to pray, go pray. And you're not quite understanding why you're doing it. It's just something your parents have told you you have to do. They taught you how to pray, but you don't know why you're praying. You're not getting the blessings um, and the understanding that you should do out of it. And that's a cultural part of it. And it's something that needs working on. And just on that cultural bit, one interesting thing. So, I mean, we've talked about mosques and we've talked about how things are and we've talked about religious leaders in previous shows as well. Mm. One thing that I thought was interesting was if you go to the subcontinent and you look at the types of people that practice Islam and you look at the, not even necessarily practice, but you go to the mosque and you look at the people that frequent that mosque, it would be your, it would typically be the poorer people. Right, it'd be people that are in poverty, and it's something that's um, associated with the lower classes within Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, um, and I think that dynamic doesn't quite exist here. I think it's quite different. I think there's maybe more of an upper working class, more of a middle class, that are associated with the mosques within our generation anyway. Right, so within the second, third generation, it's more of a middle class that are becoming a bit more religious, right? And then th they talk about a very similar trend in India as well. They're talking about um, middle class Hindus becoming much more um, inclined towards their faith and their beliefs, and then going to you know, worship much more mm. um, than other sort of classes. So I think yeah, there's a little bit of mismatch. So I think maybe you know there's. Just, just going back to some of the examples we've talked about, I think there's a little bit there around, there's this insecurity that people have from the subcontinent or even from the Middle East as well, where there's this certain association and they see people here that may be a little bit well off or middle class or may not look like the typical Malvi religious type with a big beard. And then they think that, oh, well, you know, who do you think you are? You know, there's, there's this level of, I feel insecurity that some people have and they come over from those countries and they come here and they feel that they're morally, spiritually, Islamically superior to us. Um, don't know, I mean, that, that, that's just my sort of, just something that I've pieced together over the years. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Um, and, and there are other things, I mean, we've sort of spoken about prayer and little things. I mean, I've noticed other things within our culture that didn't quite fully understand you know um marriage being a big one um i've seen a brother who's tried to marry someone that's pakistani so i'm from bangladesh community marrying someone pakistani you know that's not always gone as easy as it should where you know there shouldn't be any any issues whatsoever if someone's muslim and you know they're practicing and whatnot shouldn't be a problem but just marrying someone that's outside of your ethnic background shouldn't be a problem but it is um still within our community um, it's sort of almost looked down on and then if that sister you know is also maybe a widow or a divorcee unfortunately I've never seen it before as well they've almost become blacklisted within our community as well and I think that's really shocking is I just I can't imagine being a parent and having a daughter who may be a divorcee or a widow and then struggling to find someone for them because it's like oh what's wrong with them why did they you know why did they get divorced or you know, if they're a widow, you know, oh, no, we can't get our son married to this person here. It might bad luck. 
Allah knows, do you know what I mean? It's just, it's yeah. horrible. I, you know, I just, I was quite shocked that it's still something that happens. That's an interesting one because, you know, from a cultural perspective, you, you'd probably almost always, if not always, find that that's associated to the girl rather than the boy. Mm-hmm. So if the, if the guy was divorced, it wouldn't be as big of a problem yeah. or a big of yeah, an exactly. issue. But if the girl was in the same situation, you know, exact same situation. The only difference being that she's female. It will be completely viewed differently, mm. you know, in, in a negative aspect from that cultural perspective. But obviously, from a religious perspective, from Islam, yeah. that's that's nothing to do with religion, is it? No, of course not. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe the reason it is with women anyway is like sort of maybe like a purity thing where women are, I don't know within our community they're seen as more delicate, more you know, you have to keep them safe you know don't let them go out you know that sort of thing so now if a woman's been married done been there done that it's like oh it sounds bad me saying it but almost like used goods it it sounds really bad but maybe that's how it's looked upon it's like oh no we want someone that's hasn't been there done that hasn't been married hasn't been used hasn't been with some other guy and it's just it's disgusting to be honest I, i think muslims you know they really need to open up to that it's horrible that our sisters are going through things like that that's the real yeah. cultural part, isn't it? Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of divorce, Wahil made a good distinction between male and female. Mm. I mean, in terms of divorce, there, yeah, there can be some intricacies to it, right? You know, if somebody's been divorced, they may have children, for example. Yeah. Um, there's questions around why were they divorced? What happened? Was there a breakdown? So there are some valid questions around it and some complexities that of need course, to be yeah. understood. But to sort of ignore men that complexity around men and saying oh it's just the women no that's messed up that's messed up and even if you look at the life of the prophet as well i mean he 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 married widows Mm. yeah he he married widows so you know there's there's a number of um mothers of the believers that were widows so you know it's i think it's a very distinct one there is 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 his first wife khatija who was not only divorced but she was also older than him. And, and that's another cultural thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That the woman cannot, absolutely cannot be older than the guy. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what the reason is behind him, to be honest. But, you know, on the one hand, we say we love the prophets and so we should follow his example. But then we have these opposing ideas and thoughts. Older, I can't be taller than you either. Sorry, I know, that's a, I know that's a funny one, but like it gets looked down on. Like if your wife's taller than you, you're walking down the street and stuff like, nope. <laughs> then that'll come up. But, like, uh... Well, you know what? You know the age one. There's two reasons for that. So one is when the man is older, the woman can is is going to be you know ten years younger than him. She can look after him, isn't she, it? Is that what you're she can look at... <laughs> exactly. So that's reason number one, and then reason number two is that men are uh so, so, so this is me saying is sort of mm. you know a, a indian subcontinent culture is um about maturity is that women mature faster than men so a 30 year old man will be as mature as the 20 year old woman so that, that, <laughs> I'll, I'll let I, you make of that what you I, want I thought, I thought he was gonna make that uh i thought he was gonna say fertility <laughs> <laughs> That, that might have a part to play too. Possibly, <laughs> possibly. We need to churn out more kids, eh? 
I mean, that's one of the things that I don't know. I was thinking about when it comes to marriage as well. I mean, there's a lot of cultural stuff. I'm sure maybe we've experienced it ourselves as well. That comes up during marriage where you didn't even think it was a thing. But now suddenly these elders are coming in, into the picture and they're like, oh, no, you have to do it this way. You have to have this and you have to, especially having a big lavish weddings. That's I think that's a major cultural thing, you know, and people are taking out loans and whatnot just to pay for these massive weddings. And, you know, you're going into this marriage with some debt and it's like, why? Why would you go? It's just it's doing it for appearances. Unfortunately, you know, there's nothing wrong with having just a simple nikah in a masjid, you know, with a few people around and just that's it. You know, it doesn't have to be a massive lavish wedding. We shouldn't be making it difficult for people, but. That's when you I see was the that, that one was a, a status thing, isn't it? If you mm. don't have a big wedding, you, where's your status? Mm. Where's your wealth or the power that's associated with yeah. wealth, I guess? And with guys as well, they're like, oh, they have to get married after they're 30, after they have a job, after they have a car, after they have the house. You know, it's like, yeah, let's just put all these uh, restrictions in place before someone can get married, while in between it's like they're struggling, you know. It's not easy, especially in this country, not being married, having someone with you. So if someone is able to, you should make it easy for them um if they've got and i've seen as well where oh the older brother has to get married first before the younger brother so i mean there's yeah there's a whole bunch of stuff we can go into and you know maybe we can discuss it in another episode inshallah but unfortunately we've run out of time um so i hope you've enjoyed listening uh please feel free to send us an email leave us a comment um that's verbaloutpost at outlook.com and inshallah we'll catch you next week on next week's episode Zakalakia for listening. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.